0: Welcome to Star Wars Lit Lab, a podcast focused on stories. I'm your host, Kyle Larson, and thank you so much for joining me. It's about 7.45 in the morning here in Portland. I'm just kind of getting up and having my coffee, and I'm kind of experimenting with uh, recording at different times of the day and seeing uh, what brings out the best parts of my personality. So you're going to get morning coffee, Kyle, here. Um, so, have it, make yourself a cup of coffee or get a beverage and sit back, and let's talk about some Star Wars stories. I'm going to go over some comic reviews that I did in the last couple weeks, because the pilot episode, I, wasn't, I was kind of playing with the format, but I figured at the top of each show I would just go over a brief little bit of uh, comic news for everyone. Um, the titles that I covered were Age of Luke Skywalker, that was actually last week, and uh, this week, I did the final issue of uh, Vader Dark Visions. So I'll talk a little bit about the Age of Luke Skywalker first. Um, it is the, I guess, penultimate, ep- uh, not episode, I'm used to uh, associating that word with television shows, but is the penultimate issue of the Age of Rebellion series. Uh, Marvel's been putting out these comics, or these series they did, the Age of Republic, uh, which was fantastically executed by Jody Hauser. There, uh, she wrote every issue and really I didn't feel like there was a bad issue in the bunch. The Age of Rebellion series, by, and it's been written by Greg Pack. I, I'm not sure if it's just because we're so familiar with the characters and everything that went on during that time, but it's, it hasn't really resonated with me quite as much as the Age of Rebellion series that's not to say it's bad it's just a lot of the issues have been kind of dull to me and again you know I'm not like (laughs) master comic writer so not saying I could do any better just these just haven't really struck me the same way as the Age of Republic issues but this uh, last last week's issue uh, which was the Age of Luke Skywalker was pretty solid and I would say so far it's my favorite of the series Um, I guess That's saying something given that we are approaching the end. Um, The only other issue to come is Darth Vader, but um, this issue was really interesting um, about Luke Skywalker. Uh, It was a pretty, every issue has been a pretty contained story, but I've noticed that they've uh, taken place, um, I guess we're concerning the Skywalkers, have taken place between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, which is a period in the, you know, Disney 2014 beyond canon that we haven't really explored a lot um, in in storytelling. We have a a really limited amount of anything that takes place around uh, Return of the Jedi. So this issue is cool just because you get to see uh, Return of the Jedi era Luke Skywalker, whereas in most of the comics we've seen him kind of in that period, that three-year period between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back where he's He's really kind of like finding his way and and trying to figure out what the next steps of him becoming a jedi are and in this book it's it's cool because he's he's in that like green lightsaber full black uh, outfit you know ready to walk in a java's palace mode and um the story that uh is takes place in the age of skywalker is uh, it's a band of rebels that are at this? They've they've seized this imperial refinery, and they're getting ready to try and offload the fuel. It's a really crucial victory for them because at this point, we know that the uh, rebel fleet is scattered across the gal- galaxy, trying to evade the empire. That's a that's a direct quote, I think. Um, but we know that uh, they're they're kind of at a crucial point, and they need this fuel. And it's, it's emphasized several times in the issue how important this is. So they the band of rebels runs into kind of a situation because they find out that even though the refinery wasn't um, staffed by Imperial you know, stormtroopers or whatever security, it is filled with um, Imperial security droids. Um, I don't know the model. You guys will have to forgive me. I'm, I'm really bad with the technical stuff. But it's the same droids as uh, k2 from from rogue one so just imagine that a space station filled with those and uh, luke just happens to show up they're all kind of like whoa is that you know luke skywalker kind of hinting that he's already this this legendary person and we're definitely going to talk about this later in the show when i get into my main discussion Um, but luke shows up he goes full anakin on all these (laughs) droids there's actually a really cool frame of him with the green lightsaber that you know, I have to imagine that um, the artist Chris Sprouse was was putting off some Anakin vibes there. So it's a pretty cool issue. But the the real important thing that happens is uh, as this is going on, as Luke's kind of helping out the rebels and dismantling these droids on the other side of the galaxy, Sheev Palpatine and Vader are having a little conference call. Uh, they're doing their little hologram thing, where Vader's kneeling down. But we're actually seeing it from the Emperor's perspective this time, and. The Emperor is kind of like, look, you know, this, this Luke Skywalker kid seems to be giving you trouble. Like, it's three years, you know, approaching four years at this point that you've been looking for him. You're not really cutting it, Vader, so why don't you let me give it a try? And <laughs> Vader, like, acquiesces, and he's, you know, it's almost like he's, like, I hate to use the term bashful, but he's, he's a little embarrassed that this kid's gotten the best of him. Um, And we know at this point, you know, Vader's determination to reach Luke. And again, I'm going to kind of come back to this in my main discussion, so I don't want to get too deep into it here. But, you know, Vader is well aware that this is his son and he wants to find him uh, for better or for worse. We'll talk about maybe what those intentions are uh, in the main discussion as well. But the Emperor decides he's going to take over and, you know, he doesn't get out of his chair or anything, but he goes deep into the force the dark side of the force and reaches out and makes a force connection with Luke. Now this is huge to me. You know this is uh, really suggesting that uh, force connections are going to be something that we will see moving forward. And it's it's not the same type of force connection that Rey and Kylo established um, via Snoke or or the the claims that Snoke did that. I still. Believe it was a natural connection that happened between them, but that's a whole other podcast right there. Um, <laughs> so it was a um, so Palpatine establishes this kind of one side force connection, and Luke has a sense that something or someone might be in his head, but he's not really sure, and. Palpatine can't really speak to him, and he can't really see exactly where Luke is or what Luke is doing. But he can detect emotions, and he can um, kind of detect what Luke is feeling and sensing. And Luke is at a really perilous point when Palpatine kind of tunes in to what's going on in his head. And there are um, <clears throat> a Star Destroyers just shown up that things are looking kind of bad for the rebels. And Luke has this this spark of fear where he thinks that he might fail the rebels. And Palpatine really seizes on that and kind of implants this vision in Luke's head. And and maybe, you know, they don't really specify if it is, you know, implanted by Palpatine or not. But Luke um, sees this vision of himself turning away from the Star Destroyer and just, you know, heading to some distant planet and he gets to the planet and what is the first thing he does he sinks his x-wing and then he moves on to this small village of people who are trying to they're struggling to harvest their food and offers to help and then we see these time jumps um, of Luke helping these people rebuilding their village building it into like an actual city and then we actually see Luke with a family on this hill overlooking the city and so he has this you know big kind of montage of of a vision of of what his life could be and i thought that was really interesting is that you know palpatine preys on the best of intentions to uh, try to turn these skywalkers you know he did it very successfully with anakin so why wouldn't he think this would work with luke so palpatine uses this you know it's it is a vision that you would say because you know, the rebellion and the galaxy need Luke so bad that it is selfish, but at the same time, you know, it's not like Luke has this vision of him going to a planet and being this ultimate, like, ruler or supreme leader or anything. He's has a very benevolent sense, but, you know, it, it really kind of emphasizes the fine line of selfishness and inward passion that the Jedi have to walk and why, you know, they're set up for such a, a struggle, even the best of them, so... Palpatine's trying to play on that and, you know, it doesn't work. Luke actually comes back from the vision, realizes he's needed, and then ends up saving the day. He helps the rebels get the fuel that they need and that's it. And, you know, I just thought it was a really cool thing to see that uh, Palpatine wasn't always just sitting on the sidelines, that sometimes he gets into the thick of it. And I thought it was interesting to see that he's actually kind of getting to know Luke Skywalker in this method, and maybe we don't know how many times he's done this uh, when it gets to Return of the Jedi, but I I thought it was also intriguing that they're bringing Force connections back to them potentially having happened in the original trilogy. Um, So... I would keep an eye out for more uh, Force Connections. You can read my full review of this issue at Star Wars Newsnet. Um, I'll try to link to it in the show notes. I need to be better about linking to things in the show notes because I didn't do any of that with the pilot episode. Um, the issue that I just reviewed this week was the final issue of Vader Dark Visions. It's a series written by Dennis uh, Hopeless. He has the Hopeless in quotation marks. Hallam, and it has art by uh Uraldo uh, Borges and Color by Marcio Menez. So I had a lot of problems with this series, and I think a lot of other people did too. I'm not going to go too deep off the rails here, um, but this series was kind of doomed from the beginning. We all, um, if you follow Twitter, follow like, you know, Star Wars news on Twitter, uh, Chuck Wendig was originally kind of tasked to write this series. Uh, it was called something else, I think it was called Vader. Or not Vader Immortal, but it was called something different than Vader: Dark Visions. When it was announced um, uh, last year that Wendig would take this on, um, and then very abruptly uh, he was fired by Marvel and taken off uh, the project, and it, we assumed that the project was scrapped. But then Dark Visions was announced, you know, very shortly after uh, Wendig was taken off the project, and it was announced that it was, you know, the title had changed from whatever it had been previously. And, um, you know, nothing against Dennis Hallam, but he kind of had the impossible task of sliding in and, and, and doing this this series. And um, it was really weird. I mean, and I hate to say that. I'm not saying that because it's so easy to say, like, oh, it's weird and it's weirdos. And, you know, I do appreciate the ambition that Marvel approached this series with. I thought that it was cool that they, you know, they tried to do something different. They tried to bring a refreshing Uh, perspective to Vader but it just it didn't work at all Uh, what I felt you know was unnecessary is Vader is the embodiment of a harrowing villain I mean you can't you could arguably say he's the most iconic villain of in cinematic history and and you know modern storytelling history uh, for sure like he's the gold standard of terrifying uh, you know i don't think there's a, a star wars fan that forgets the first time they saw him walk onto tantive IV in in a new hope after the stormtroopers had mowed down all these rebels and you know after rogue one i mean <laughs> you can't really can't really argue that you know there's a more more iconic um villain in in star wars in my opinion at least um and i thought that this just added a lot of really unnecessary. I, I use the term sadism um, because these these murders that each issue was essentially like him showing up and, and murdering people. And you know the issues because it, they were it was a, a limited issue or excuse me a limited series, and each issue focused on a different character. Instead of getting to know these characters, you really didn't have a you just kind of had a sense of their circumstances rather than uh, what their motivations were or, you know, why you should care that, that Vader was after them. And it it really dehumanized them in a way. And that that's really, that bummed me out a lot because I don't come to Star Wars for, you know, the like violence, I guess. And, you know, I, I can handle violence if it serves the story, but this just really seemed unnecessary. And, you know, Vader is, you know, for <laughs> not to like say too much about you know being complimentary of a killer or anything but he's very swift and very clean and very decisive and he does it with a purpose and a lot of these these stories just they just didn't I don't know they just they seemed mean and especially you know I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the third issue of of this series uh, where he he murders this, there's, there's a woman on the Death Star, who's a, a technician, like a medical technician, and she's clearly, you know, obsessed with Vader. And, you know, by the 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 issue actually ends with her kind of confronting him and, and expressing her passion. And he, you know, he kills her with his lightsaber. And, you know, that's, that's bad enough. I, I don't, I, I'm really hesitant to uh, be okay with violence against women in you know in any type of storytelling because it's such a prevalent thing in the world these days. You know, women's safety is, is continues to be disregarded even in this era of, of me too. Um, it either is demeaned or disregarded and, and that really, really bothered me that they would put that in a Marvel book, just that cold blooded killing. And, you know, if it wasn't bad enough then <laughs> when Vader gets up out of his, you know, isolation chamber where she sees him you know, actually unmasked, which was kind of crazy. The art of these issues has been actually pretty solid, but, you know, not, I shouldn't be sandwiching this criticism with a, a compliment like that. Um, but he gets up and says, get this trash out of my quarters or something, referring to the corpse of the the woman he just murdered. And, uh, you know, that it's just right now, I think we need to be very careful about these kind of depictions because especially women in fandom have to deal with so much crap from uh, every corner of the loudest, toxic corners of of Star Wars fandom. We know whenever they say something that, that people might disagree with, you know, they... A lot of times, you know, people are threatened with violence, but I think women especially are usually threatened with violence and, and threatened with really demeaning things when somebody just disagrees with something they said. And, and I, I found this issue, you know, very offensive. I didn't speak up really about it at the time because I wasn't the one reviewing it that week. But the more them, that I went back and, and I read all of these when I was uh, finishing writing this review of Dark Visions... And I just can't get past that. I mean, I I thought it was really offensive, and and I hope Marvel does better in the future and and is really careful about those type of things, because these issues, again, just really didn't seem to serve any sort of purpose to me. And uh, they just kind of added this layer of of cruel sadism to to a villain that is complicated and interesting enough on his own, and and we didn't really need that. So I'll kind of uh, wind down, and I don't want to get too worked up here, but uh, I I feel like this Dark Visions series kind of made the argument for Vader fatigue, if there was one, and it's interesting <laughs> because as I say that, um, I had just received an email, uh, kind of a reminder email, that Target Vader, it's another series that's coming up uh, in over the summer is is on the way so it's target vader is the marvel series Um, another vader limited series this one hopefully will be a little bit or a lot different because it actually is in a cool way it's bringing back an old uh, legends character named uh valance um hopefully i'm pronouncing that right and he was actually um, an assassin in the old like marvels uh, actually marvels number 16 in 1978 um, and he was brought back in the Imperial Cadet, uh, the Han Solo Imperial Cadet, but it sounds like he's gonna be the the focus of Target Vader um and it's a story about him trying to if you read the uh, solo imperial cadet you know that when they brought volance back they kind of set him up to have a beef with the empire um, because he was wounded in um, a couple of the battles and he's a cyborg character in the original uh, legends marvels uh, number 16 but they brought him back in uh, solo and had him had him experience a wound, and the Empire decided they are going to be cheap on his Cyborg Im- implementation, so I imagine that's something that has festered and he's not very happy about that. Um, I'm hoping that this won't be, even though Vader's name is on the cover, I'm hoping that's more of a selling point and this is going to be more of a, it sounds like it has more of like an underground part of the galaxy, maybe, and I like to say it like maybe has a solo Star Wars story vibes. So that would be cool because, you know, on uh, Star Wars Lit Lab, we are uh, very, very positive when it comes to the Make Solo 2 Happen movement. So that would, anything that kind of takes place in that realm, I I think would kind of add to, to that movement more stories because... I loved Solo, a Star Wars story, and I would love more stories that kind of take place and, and connect to those characters, whether it's characters that are, you know, disappeared in the film, like Val, I would love to see more of her, or characters whose stories were left incredibly open-ended, like Emphis Nest, Kira, and, you know, Solo and Lando themselves. So that's kind of the comic news for the week, guys. Um, I guess I will take a sip of my coffee. And I should probably take a sip of my water, because we are going to get to the main discussion. Dead air time. (coughs) All right. So the main discussion this week, um, I felt like if I'm going to do a podcast that primarily focuses on Star Wars stories as they exist in the comic books, and um, we're talking about, again, the 2014 post, you know, the the reset that that Marvel did on the canon, and the first comic uh, series that they actually released in canon uh, was just the titular series called Star Wars. Um, the first writer to work on this the store, um, the excuse me, the Star Wars title was Jason Aaron. Um, And the art was by John Cassidy. And the very first arc of the very first book, sorry, I'm saying first a lot, is called Skywalker Strikes. And I think that this arc is important to discuss because it really sets the stage for everything that happens in the comics going forward. Um, It not only sets the stage for that, but it also it establishes the first time that Luke and Vader meet face to face. And that is kind of the, the crux of this discussion is kind of how it, it helps establish Luke Skywalker's role in the overall saga. Um, and that being the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, um, we can't really connect him too crazily to the prequels since he wasn't there. But, you know, the events of the prequels definitely set the stage for uh, Vader's perception, um, but I'll just kind of break down, um, you know, a, a bit of each issue. I I did summaries for each one, so you guys kind of have an idea what happens. It was a, a six issue run, and um, it's it's unique in the sense too that it's also connected to another series that popped up in the middle of its run, uh, which was the first Darth Vader series by. Uh, Kieran Gillen, and I'll talk a little bit about how those two connect and how their, their stories like ran parallel, and then also where the Darth Vader comic continued kind of that that Vader's, you know, strife for, or striving for independence and autonomy from from the Emperor and wanting to get to a place where he felt like, you know, where all Sith get to, where they need to overthrow their masters, so... um like I said, this issue or this series is written by Jason Aaron. He did the uh, quite a few. I I'm sorry that I didn't write down a number in my notes, but he did several of the first issues of this main title. Um, and he, in the interview, I remember reading, and I I went back and checked too, and I'll try to link to that in the show notes. He did an interview with StarWars.com before this came out, and he mentioned he wanted to approach this issue as. A direct sequel to A New Hope, and it's, it's very much uh, feels like that in the sense. Um, the The first issue actually opens on a planet called Simoon One, and we find out that on that planet, it's there's a um a very large, uh, probably I I guess they claim it to be the largest weapons manufacturer in in the galaxy. Sorry, I had to pause there. I uh, almost spilled my water, but anyway, they are on uh, Simon One, and it is the uh, largest weapons manufacturer in the galaxy. And um, Han, a ship, kind of touches down. You know, the 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 issue opens with uh, this kind of like nebish Imperial guy standing out on a landing platform, and we see a very kind of Jabba the Hut looking ship land, and Han. Uh, walks out with two guards flanking him, who are actually Luke and Leia um, in disguise, and pretends to be a negotiator for Jabba the Hutt. Now we're at a point that the Empire has just suffered a huge loss. Um, Something to kind of know in canon about um, a lot of the literature that came out around time is they're really establishing how reliant the construction of the Death Star was on this vast imperial... uh, I guess, industrial, you know, war machine just kind of gobbling up resources around the galaxy. So, you know, they were just pouring everything that they had into the Death Star and then it was blown up and they were lost. So it was, it's important now for the Empire to kind of get back on their feet. And by doing so, they're trying to negotiate a trade route with, uh, in the Outer Rim with Job of the Hutt um, and also a, a way for um, him to gather up resources probably the the nastiest way that the huts do i'm sure crimson dawn probably had something to do with that as well or was doing that so han is posing as a negotiator and he introduces himself as han solo and then like when the imperials check his record they're like oh yeah you know he's totally connected to jabba he's a known associate of of jabba so um we we kind of are introduced to this facility and this this like mission impossible vibe that they have uh going in there and they are on a mission to destroy the facility but once luke gets inside and kind of breaks off from the rest of them he discovers that they are keeping slaves there and he in a very like (laughs) there's a lot of flexing in this issue i would say just as like like I'm sure everyone working on the title is like, yeah, we are writing a fucking Star Wars comic, and we're gonna let you know. And there's a lot of really cool frames. And and I th- always think that those kind of things are fun, and as long as you don't overdo it, but you might as well go all out in the first issue of. But there's a cool uh, frame of Luke, you know, like I am Luke Skywalker with his lightsaber ignited and everything like that, and he's he's releasing these slaves out of their, uh um their confinement, and that actually complicates things because as Han and Leia are finally revealing themselves to the imperial or to yeah the nebish imperial officer who's supposed to negotiate with them and and you know basically arresting him and the bucket heads and getting ready to plant their thermal detonators uh, the emp- They forgot to, that the Imperial officer mentioned a, in, a negotiator from the Empire was en route from Coruscant, and a shuttle just kind of slowly touches down as all this is going, and the Imperial negotiator walks out, and that just happens to be Darth Vader shit. Darth Vader is actually the negotiator, and that would probably be pretty bad to find that out when you're in the middle of a mission. Anyway, Vader walks out, and it's actually Chewbacca is up on a turret somewhere and sees this, and he's overlooking the whole facility, and he tries to assassinate Vader, and kind of another cool flex. Vader just, he senses this, so he picks up a bunch of stormtroopers that are flanking him and uses them as human shields um, to take the take the blast. Um, then he makes his way, he realizes something very wrong is, is going on, and makes his way into the complex, and the, the first issue ends with Luke in a corridor walking down there, and all of a sudden he hears uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's voice, and it's just the voice only. There's no, you know, force ghost or anything. They don't take that moment away from Empire Strikes Back, but Obi-Wan, he just says, run. He doesn't say, run, Luke, run. He just says, listen to me very carefully, run. And then Vader turns around the corner. So that leads right into the second issue. And, you know, I I had some problems with them having this conflict between Luke and Darth Vader when I first read it. I didn't, you know, in hindsight now I I see why they did this. Um, Because I I think a lot of people have always in their headcanons thought that the first meeting between Vader and Luke is in Bespin towards the end of Empire Strikes Back and that You know, iconic lightsaber fight, but it actually happened here because we, you know, they never got to see face to face in *A New Hope*, and Vader doesn't know at this point who this kid is that destroyed the Death Star. Um, So he's he's meeting him for the first time here in this corridor in the second issue in this, you know, maze of an industrial complex. Uh, Luke has the Skywalker saber and ignites it. Vader ignites his saber, but then realizes like. Who the fuck do you think you are? I'm Darth Vader. You don't, like, you've been holding this thing for a minute. And he actually grabs the, <laughs> like, force grabs the Anakin Skywalker Ray, lightsaber from from Luke and, and kind of, I don't know, he doesn't, I wouldn't say lectures him, but, like, dresses him down. Like, you know, I'm. you're not even worth me taking a lightsaber swipe at you. You shouldn't even be holding this thing. And as he's kind of, like, dressing Luke down, um, he recognizes that it's his old lightsaber, and the you know the lightsaber that Rey will inevitably inherit. I kind of go back and forth between calling it the Skywalker and Ray saber, because I definitely want to give her her credit where uh, credits due, because it is her her lightsaber now. But anyway, uh, this kind of meeting between the two of them, you know, Luke is is very much you know like you're a monster, like that kind of thing. Then all of a sudden, uh, this. ADAT leg crashes through the corridor and breaks up this meeting, and that's because Han and Leia stole an ADAT. So another kind of cool flex here is, you know, those two driving around in an ADAT, and you can see this kind of, you know, flirtatious uh, tension that is building up between the two of them as they they pilot it uh, through that, and they're facing off, you know, as this conflict between Vader and, and Luke is going on inside, they're facing off against, like, you know, whole uh, armada of uh, Imperial of stormtroopers and other Imperial Imperial craft and holding their own pretty well. Um, Luke is actually able to escape Vader because of this, and then he actually he gets on a speeder, and as Vader's you know kind of disheveled trying to deal with this hat uh, Luke swings by in his speeder and swipes back the uh, Anakin lightsaber and knocks a stormtrooper out, and that's uh, the end of the second issue. Um, in the third issue, we get to Vader taking down the Adat. There's pretty cool frames of him, you know, destroying the Adat one by one. And um, 3PO has been on the Millennium Falcon the whole time. So he and Chewbacca are, and there's like this band of uh, their indigenous like alien species that are moving through the, the junkyards of the the Imperial uh, facility, which happens to actually be in the Corellian sector. It's not Corellia itself, but it looks very similar to the Corellia we see in Solo a Star Wars story, but anyway, uh, 3PO is on the Falcon and Chewbacca and, and he uh finally get it away from these um, you know, indel- indigenous like alien scavengers that are trying to take it over um, because they think it's another part of the junk. So they do that, and Luke is starting to see that as he he flies around in his speeder that. You know they—they don't know if they're going to be able to destroy the facility, and that's the whole reason they came. And and, you know it all got sidetracked because of the stuff with uh, Darth Vader and that kind of thing. And he actually has a, a. makes a decision that he's going to fly like a a suicide mission to take out the the facility and there's this really really cool frame and i think i've shared it on twitter but of luke as he's piloting preparing to pilot the um the speeder into the facility to to detonate it where he he kind of reaches out to his father because again he doesn't know his father's darth vader but reaches out in his mind to anakin skywalker and says i'm sorry father I'll never be the Jedi that you were, you know, Luke feels like he failed, and he doesn't think he'll ever be a Jedi, because, you know, Ben Kenobi's dead, uh, the Jedi are dead, his, you know, he's got to still be feeling something from his Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, who, you know, who raised him, who were murdered by the Empire, and, you know, there's probably a lot of grief that Luke hasn't really dealt with. Um, but he, he, anyway, he does actually manage to take out the facility and survive and barely makes it onto the Falcon as it, you know, shoots away. But that feeling of failure and that feeling of, you know, inevitability that he is going to fail to become a Jedi um, because he doesn't have anyone to show him the way and he has to find his own way um, is is definitely there. Um, the seeds are eventually planted, though that failure does plant the seeds for him to, Kind of work harder and and you know we'll we'll talk about that in the next when it gets to the next issue. But taking a break just from from this series, uh, talking about this series is that they did something really interesting, and I like to think of it as like a canon flex because they made a point about or um, they I keep saying they, but Lucasfilm and Marvel made a point about how there is a Lucasfilm story group to keep everything, all the stories, uh, kind of organized in, in whatever sort of canon. Um, they're going to be. So, Star Wars 1 through 6 is connected to actually the first arc of the Darth Vader series that debuted, I think, after the third issue of this. I really hope I'm not <laughs> confusing you. I'm kind of confusing myself with these numbers. So, but the Darth Vader series by Karen Gillen debuted shortly after this, and its first issue actually connects um, the dots between the third issue of this title. Skywalker Strikes and the fourth issue of Skywalker Strikes so we kind of see Darth Vader has you know again encountered this this kid who uh, seems to be very powerful with the force he doesn't really know what his deal is doesn't know what his name is even and so he uh, hires Boba Fett in the Darth Vader series to find out who Luke is and like what the deal is with Luke And uh, I think Vader knows that he came from Tatooine, and that's about it. Um, So that's where Boba Fett starts looking, Um, and that's where we get to issue number four of Skywalker Strikes. So Luke, you know, dealing with his failure, he's he decides to break off from the rebellion for a little bit. Not he doesn't leave it, but he just needs to take a break. He he explains that to Leia. There's a a kind of a cool moment between the two of them where he's you know practicing in a his lightsaber technique with uh, one of those uh random, you know, those those droids that shoot laser bolts at him that he was doing on the Millennium Falcon. Again, you guys, I'm sorry, I'm I'm really terrible with technical terms. I promise I will try to get better. Um but anyway, he is doing that. Leia comes in and and they have an exchange and he just says to her, look, I, I need to go figure this out. I need to figure out what my place is, you know, what I'm doing. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Uh, <laughs> Force Awakens, Last Jedi. But uh, he travels to Tatooine to try to uh, salvage whatever he can from from Obi-Wan Kenobi's hut. You know, he, f- he must figure like, oh, well, my dad's lightsaber was in there. What else does he have? There's got to be something that that can help, you know, lead my journey into learning the ways of the Force and becoming a Jedi like I thought I would be doing under Obi-Wan Kenobi. And my God, can you imagine how rad that would have been if Obi Wan would have survived the Death Star? Not to take anything away from his death, but just like imagine like if he just had he had survived, and you know they ran off to Dagobah or something, and you know he and Yoda trained Luke. Anyway, I'm getting out of there. Back to issue four. Um, Vader has uh, negotiated with Jabba the Hutt, um, and he. We, um, for resources. So this, like these final negotiations are complete and Jabba is going to provide resources from the outer rim, how, whatever nasty way he can get them. Um, but we also learned that Jabba didn't only, you know, make that agreement with Vader. He also had kind of a side deal with Vader. Um, and that was, uh, having, helping Vader hire Boba Fett and, um, to track down Luke Skywalker. Um, and Jabba actually mentions, uh, He's had encounters with Obi-Wan Kenobi before, we do learn that later in the, the series, but um, he does kind of joke about that with Vader and um, two total assholes joking. It actually takes place, Jabba takes his sail barge out into uh, the desert, and he decides he just wants to watch his men kill Banthas just for sport, because Jabba's a fucking asshole. Anyway, enough with that. Um, Boba Fett actually appears at the end of this issue Right as, um, like he kind of walks into a can to the cantina, and that's kind of a cliffhanger, is that we now know Boba Fett, the most dangerous bounty hunter in the galaxy, is in pursuit of Luke Skywalker. Issue number five um, opens up with Luke arriving on Tatooine. Uh, Boba, F- we we're treated to a pretty violent. <laughs> Uh, fest of Boba Fett shooting up a cantina and actually catching a patron who he thinks knows Luke Skywalker, torturing him like really. I mean, there's some pretty gnarly frames in this book. He's he's like looks like he's like ripping his teeth out or something. <laughs> and then you know once he gets what he wants, he just kills him, and it all goes down right in the middle of the Mos Isley cantina where everybody's you know just kind of having their drinks and ignoring this weird torture scene that's playing out in front of them. Again, can you guys tell I don't really like violence that much? I don't really like violence at all, but sometimes it it serves the story. Sometimes you're just kind of like, that was gross, and that was gross. So... Luke comes up, he comes upon Ben's uh, or Obi Wan Kenobi's hut after kind of the scenes jump to that and it's being raided by the sand people. So, what does Luke do? He ignites his lightsaber, and I'm guessing that these are the same sand people or maybe people that have heard about these lightsaber things because, you know, Attack of the Clones reference, they're scared shitless as soon as they see this thing and they kind of run off. Um, I don't blame them if. I knew that had gone down with a lightsaber um, against my people. I probably would, too. So Luke gets in and starts kind of digging around Obi-Wan's hut, and whatever information Boba Fett gleaned from this poor person that suffered under him must have led him to Obi-Wan's hut because the issue concludes with Boba Fett tossing in a thermal detonator, it exploding, and actually not killing Luke, but the burst was so bright, it left him blind, and he's helpless, in the dark, blinded, as Boba Fett steps into Obi-Wan Kenobi's uh, hut. I remember reading this issue for the first time, and I was like, oh shit, they really are going all in with the cliffhangers on these issues, and I love that. I would love that they really, uh, they just kind of they went. They went. They entered this with a bang, and and they really wanted to be like, yeah, we are doing a Star Wars comic, motherfuckers. So get ready. Um, issue number six, which is the conclusion of this arc, and Luke, unsurprisingly, manages to beat Boba Fett. Um, you know, Boba didn't know he was going up against. You know, the a very very powerful Jedi. Or well, he's not a Jedi. Yep, the Force is strong with him, and the Force helps protect him and he manages to beat Boba Fett and he also gets Obi-Wan's journal. Now that's very, very important because this sets up um, what I like to call Kenobi issues that um, Marvel was doing in between arcs. I think they did three of them um, in these first few arcs, but these are um, issues where basically Luke is just reading uh, excerpts from Obi-Wan Kenobi's journal that he had written to tell Luke about um, and learning a few things about the Force, and it actually there's an entire arc that's based around uh, Yoda, that is um, is is essentially just Luke reading a journal and reading Obi Wan's recount of this this adventure that happens to Yoda. And I hope we talk about that sometime. I'm sure we will as we get closer to the rise of Skywalker and the Project Luminous, because it's very uh, Force centric. But I'm not going to go into that here today. Um, so. While, while Luke has been, you know, on this kind of soul-searching mission, trying to find out more about the Jedi and being pursued by Boba Fett and Darth Vader, Leia and Han have um, been kind of on a pursuit of their own, and they're actually being pursued by an anonymous. Well, she just—it appears to be an anonymous bounty hunter. Um, and as they're pursued by the Empire, they crash land on uh, this planet. I can't remember the planet's name, but they crash land on a planet and this anonymous bounty hunter shows up and reveals herself to be a character named Sana Staros uh, and claims that she is Han Solo's wife. So Sana Staros uh, is an awesome character and this is her first appearances in issue number six and she shows up Uh, across Marvel titles Um, she shows up in several issues of the titular series but she also ends up showing up and playing a huge role and actually having a relationship with um, Aphra in one of of my favorite Marvel titles uh, Dr. Aphra so this is our first time that we meet Sana and we learn that um, later, we'll, we'll kind of learn more about the character, but it was like an arranged marriage and it was for a show and somehow Han ended up screwing her over and the whole thing. So she's just kind of, she's not coming back to be like, Hey Han, you're my husband. You're, I'm taking you home. It's more like, Hey Han, you screwed me over. We're going to settle this. So that kind of introduces like a, an, a cool dynamic, but I'm not going to go too deep into like what's going on with Han and Leia because it's really just kind of the cookie cutter um, you know, flirtatious, building tension, and, and that's fun to read, and it definitely like, you know, I, I'm big on Star Wars being a love story, so I'm glad that they're setting up that dynamic between Han and Leia, but it is um it's not super important to this Skywalker Strikes saga. And I think what is the most important thing is that Boba Fett learns you know who Luke Skywalker is. He doesn't and he brings that information back to Vader, and this is the first time that Vader is hearing that Luke Skywalker is alive, and that this is this person shares his last name, and this could very well be connected to him, and it could be connected to Padme, and this plants the seed that somehow this person named Luke Skywalker it represents. Anakin. It represents who Vader used to be. And I think this is the most important part of the arc because, you know, Vader just wanted to catch a criminal before. He just wanted to catch a fugitive from the Empire that had destroyed the Death Star. Now that that takes on an, an entirely new dimension. And in a way, I, I have to say, like, I think this is the first time Vader feels hope since uh, Revenge of the Sith. And, you know, this is the first time Anakin is you know, we know that, that there's this this bit of light that's been lingering in him. We know that from the Charles Soule Vader books that take place, you know, not long after, actually immediately after Revenge of the Sith, that Vader was conflicted, but he really let the darkness overwhelm him. Um, but this is, you know, the reemergence of that, I would have to say, is that in that title, in the Soul title, we would see these kind of forced representations of Vader in the darkness and these little beacons of light around him. Um, and I'd have to say that, like, that's probably what we would be seeing if that existed in this moment, where he finds hope and he finds Luke. And, you know, one of the most haunting frames, I think, in the comics is after he finds out Luke is alive, or he finds out that there's this Luke Skywalker person that he may be connected to. Maybe it's his son, maybe it's a relative, who knows, but it it's somebody that's connected to Anakin Skywalker. And... Um, Vader just, you know, he's he's told this by Boba Fett, Boba Fett leaves in the last frame that we see is Vader standing on an empty Star Destroyer bridge and he just has his fists fist clenched and the, the glass uh, between him and the vacuum of space starts to crack slightly. And, you know, I just, I can't imagine the storm of emotions inside him, you know, feeling this hope that conflicts with this hatred that he's really buried himself under. And then realizing too that like, you know i i did all of this i turned you know and i lost everything i i ended up you know murdering the one person that i love i i thought that i i murdered um you know my my child or my unborn child as well and now he's finding out that that might not be true and there might be a way out of this and there might have been a path to redemption all along you know there's a part of me that believes that Anakin you know he went all in definitely when he killed Padme and he was all in before that Um, and you know that that's one of the most awful moments in the saga for me when he he killed her and you know it's it made it made it really hard for me to accept any sort of redemption from him but you know this this saga is about love and it's about hope and he he realizes that there is a potential to to find a pathway to that love and to that hope in you know this maybe this person named Skywalker and this begins really like in you know the Star Wars series and the Darth Vader series by Karen Gillan this quest for um, Vader to find Luke and find out more about him he eventually does discover um, through Doctor Afra that Padme did her children did survive um, or that Anakin and Padme's children did survive and that luke is actually his son and he he doesn't find it out in this issue but this issue definitely sets that the stage for that and and is the catalyst to that pursuit of of finding out that truth um and you know again it just it really underscores the fact that luke provides is a beacon of hope for so many people in this this saga and um, I I thought it was interesting because I when I was going back over this I've also been rereading uh, slowly the Last Jedi novelization by Jason Fry and it, it really g- connected to me into a scene uh, in that that was actually m- filmed but it was deleted but it's in the book and it's incredibly effective and it's when Ray uh, you know reminds Luke after he's kind of he played a trick on her to, to get her to. It was kind of a test to see what she would do. And it was it was a mean moment. I, I kind of understand why they cut it from the film, but I wish it was still in there. But she, yeah, I'm going to take a direct quote um, from her, but she said, I understand that across the galaxy, our real friends are dying. That legend Luke Skywalker that you hate so much, I believed in it. I was wrong. And, you know, the reason that that connects, that these moments connect to me, the fact that Vader's finding hope and, and the fact that Ray." Um, thought she would find hope, and then it was diminished. It just, you know, it, it kind of like it bookends this 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 feeling that Luke Skywalker, you know, he's expected to do this, and that's kind of his service to the galaxy is the selfless service of being a beacon of hope, and that he, you know, he it's not about him getting to do what he wants. It's about him being part of this greater good, and it just. I really underscored that to me so much. I, I hope I'm not jumbling my words up too much, but I I, I just felt like um, it was really cool to see Vader find that hope, and then it really was cool for me to like that was for some reason just the first moment I went back to when I read that passage in in the last Jedi was how how hopeful Luke has has given how much hope Luke has given to the galaxy, and how really that is is one of his biggest services um, to everything. So we know that Vader starts down this journey to find out um, who his son is and that it you know it's documented heavily in the comics. I don't I wonder if we're gonna get any novels about it but they've they've provided plenty of material about it in the comic the comic books you know Vader he's definitely going all in and he's trying to find find Luke and that, you know, leads right into the Empire Strikes Back and and the events that happen there and in Return of the Jedi. And I'd be really interested to see any material, any further material that takes place um, of this pursuit between Empire and between Return of the Jedi. So um, yeah, that is kind of the end of my discussion there i hope i didn't go on too many tangents i'm still getting used to this podcast thing you know the luxury of writing this all out is it can go back and cut and paste it and clip it and it's kind of harder to it's a little more difficult to do that with a podcast format so i hope that uh you were able to bear with me. Um, a couple reading materials, um, if you want to get a little further into this. Again, I recommend Skywalker Strike Saga, just as like contained saga or, or arc, not saga, but it's a really cool, you know, contained arc. And you can get it for super cheap these days. I would encourage you first to please go to your local comic um, store or bookstore and see if they have it in stock. This has been out for a while, so they should have um, the complete series that you can just buy in one package. Uh, The first six issues, just ask for Skywalker Strike. Please, you guys, go to the local comic and bookstores. Our brick and mortar stores are dying every day, they need your support. Please give them your dollars. If you can't find it there, it's available on Comixology, and it's probably pretty cheap there as well. So check that if you can't find it in your local store. The art by John Cassidy is really cool, and you know it would be great to read it with like a tangible book in your hand as well. Um, obviously, the Last Jedi novelization by Jason Fry would be a great place, um, and it's you know I love the Last Jedi, and we'll talk. About that, we'll probably have an episode about that entire film because it's it is my favorite Star Wars film. But the novelization is is wonderful, and Jason Fry is a great Star Wars writer, a great writer in general. And I think that you, uh, there's a lot to be learned there, and there's a lot of stuff that's in the novel that wasn't in the movie that that helped. You know, it's not a perfect film, but I, I feel like the novelization helps fill in a couple of gaps but it still is my favorite film and if you want to go really deep on the uh the hope part of Luke Skywalker uh Ken Liu put a novel out in 2017 shortly before uh The Last Jedi came out I think it came out in September or October but it's called The Legends of Luke Skywalker and it's a a collection of short stories that take place um between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens and kind of hint at what Luke was doing around the galaxy and, and his uh, journey to learn the ways of the Force. And it's a very cool book. It, it is, it, I would say, kind of told in like a fairy tale sense, um, because all the tales are told from a different perception and Luke is very much this uh, uh, Gandalf figure in a lot of them. But it's it's a cool book and I think you should definitely look at it. So, um, so that's the discussion. Um, kind of give you a little preview of what we're going to do next week as we wrap up this first episode um i just finished reading an excellent star wars novel called alphabet squadron which came out this tuesday by alexander freed um you can read the star wars newsnet review that's currently up by uh, my friend jordan pate he wrote a non-spoiler review I'll be writing this uh, spoiler review over the weekend but I really encourage you all to check it out it's such a cool book um, it takes place just after the fall of the Empire and the Battle of Endor and kind of establishes like how much of a mess the galaxy was even after the second Death Star was destroyed and all the hard work that the New Republic had to do to um, kind of subdue these really militant violent factions of the Empire that are just um, causing trouble if you're familiar with uh, shattered empire and aftermath um, inferno squad and the game uh, battlefront 2 you' you'll you'll know that um, right after uh, the events of return of the Jedi uh, the emperor had a contingency plan called cinder um, operation cinder which basically just went around to different resource rich planets in the, the galaxy and set fire to them. And Alphabet Squadron is takes place after that has occurred, and it's you know we should have known that it was a huge event. But Alphabet Squadron really, the the book really underscores how much damage this did to the galaxy and how difficult it made um, things for the New Republic at the time. Um, the The novel centers around um, a, f- a couple, you know, um, Imperial expats that have. Um, defected and joined the Rebel Alliance, and it also uh, centers around um, the rebels, the Rebel Alliance. You know, kind of these rebellion pilots, kind of learning now that they're the new peacekeepers and the new, um, basically the new authority in the galaxy, and and kind of accepting that role. Um, there's also a really cool uh, series. That ties into Alphabet Squadron because it's a crossover event between Delray and Marvel called TIE Fighter. Um, and that third issue of that book is actually coming out this week, and it's written by Jody Houser. And Jody Houser, in my opinion, um, is one of the uh, pretty much untouchable Star Wars writers at this point. Everything that she's writing, you know, is gold, in my opinion. And this uh, TIE Fighter series is no exception. So it's very cool to have uh, her stories bouncing around Alexander Freed's stories. So TIE Fighter um, tells the story of uh, Alpha Belt Squadron, kind of the nebulous antagonist of the book, not to spoil anything, is this rogue, excuse me, not rogue, but... Um, elite uh, wing of the empire called uh, Shadow Squad, uh, or Shadow Wing, excuse me. Um, So TIE Fighter tells the story of Shadow Wing, and I highly recommend that book. Um, The third issue is out next week, um, along with the final issue of The Age of Rebellion, which will be about Darth Vader. I'm sure that's going to be awesome. And, you know, we, we've been talking about, or I've been talking about the, the titular Star Wars title, the main Star Wars title. Well, the 67th issue of that book um, is coming out this next week. And it actually marks the end of Kieran Gillen's uh work on that star wars title so uh gillan has contributed a lot to the comics he was the first writer um, running the darth vader series um, he created the character dr afra and then he t- he wrote the bulk of that series before uh, simon spurrier took it over and this will be his final issue in star wars 67 and also ends um which, which has been a pretty good arc called the scourging of shu And uh, Shutoran has played a huge role in um, a lot of the really terrible events that have happened to uh, the Rebel rebel Alliance in the last few issues. You know, essentially, they had their fleet decimated because um, the queen of uh, Shutoran, whose name is Trios, uh, betrayed Leia and betrayed the Rebellion. And so this is kind of the final issue of dealing with that whole Um, you know, the destruction of the fleet, that betrayal, and um, Queen Trios and the Shutoran people's uh, relationship with the Empire, and and they've been really abused and stepped on by the Empire, Um, but they've acquiesced, and they've, um, you know, the population of that planet is unfortunately at the mercy of these they're called ore barons, and so I'm really interested to see kind of how the the, the story ends with uh, Queen Trios and her relationship with Leia Leia's been really out to get her since she was betrayed um, Queen Trios has been trying to do this in the name of protecting her people because one of the first times she met Vader he murdered just a, t- a bunch of her people I think even her father right in front of her and then gave her this little box and it was like a piece of a rock like a scorched rock and he's like you know what that is? She's like no what is that? He's like that's Alderaan uh, yeah, that's pretty much what we're gonna do to your planet if you don't do what we say. So, <laughs> just kind of uh, a really subtle like we'll wipe everybody out. You know, we're gonna have this planet whether you you want it or not. So, um, so anyway, I'm I'm encouraged or. Not encouraged, interested to see where Queen Trios' story ends um, and the Shotoran people. So look for that. Star Wars 67, Age of Rebellion, Vader, and TIE Fighter, they're all coming out Wednesday, June 29th. Or not June 29th, Wednesday, June 19th. I'm sorry, you guys, the coffee should be kicking in, but for some reason it's not. On the next episode, I hope... And I, I'm really hesitant to say this because I feel like this is a huge topic, but I, I wanna get into some legend stuff because again, I'd like to remind everyone I'm gonna be focusing, trying to give equal attention to legends, fan fiction, and canon. And so I figured the next episode I should just go all in and I'm really nervous about it and I might be a while before it comes out because I got a lot of research to do. But I'm gonna be talking about Darth Revan. Um, and I'm going to be talking about Darth Revan in the Old Republic game, the novel, and I've also been on Archive of Our Own and found some pretty rad Darth Revan fan fiction. So if you're a Darth Revan fan, if you're a Legends fan, please get ready for that, and please uh, go gentle on me uh, after I do it, because I I hope that I can do it justice. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to give me a shout out, um, my Email address uh, for the podcast is Star Wars Lit at gmail. The only social right now that we are on is Twitter. I don't do Facebook or Instagram or MySpace or Friendster. Or what you know, any of that other shit. I really just do Twitter because I find it's it's super easy to connect with uh, the community that way. But we're on Twitter at uh, Star Wars Lit Lab. Just search us there. Um, you can find my. Uh, weekly reviews of comics and books at star wars newsnet i want to thank all my friends at star wars newsnet for their they've been incredibly supportive of this endeavor um when they could be hey you're going to be taking away star wars newsnet time not at all they've been super super positive and and the shares and everything and i'd like to thank everyone as well who's listening listen to the pilot gave me feedback has given me encouragement and support via Twitter and social. It, it means so much. I really am nervous about putting myself out here like this. And, and that just the kind words, it, they help tremendously. I, I can't thank you enough. So my name is Kyle Larson. This has been Star Wars Lit Lab, a podcast about Star Wars story stories. I'm going to take another sip of my coffee. Oh, good coffee. And I'm going to sign off. I um, hope you guys are doing good, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.